I'm going to get going. I'm going to read Luke 4. And my aim this morning is that we go from here greatly rejoicing in Jesus. I I feel that's where we need to land. I I want us to come back into a time of worship because I feel it is so appropriate as a response um, to this morning's message. And so I'm going to just read through Luke 4 and we're really going to get to work quickly so that we have time to respond and thank God and glorify him and enjoy him afresh. So Luke 4, Jesus went to Nazareth where he, had been, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. Here in Luke 4, this passage that we just read, when Jesus gets handed this scroll from the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue and he reads from it is, if you like, Jesus' stump speech. I've just started listening to a, or reading a book and listening to it on audiobook as well, a book called, about Abraham Lincoln called Team of Rivals. And... And in American politics, at the start of somebody's campaign, they do what's called a stump speech, where they oftentimes will go back to their hometown. And so the boy from Nebraska done good, our local guy who's running for office of president, and they'll go back and they'll say, this is who I am. And this is what I promise that I will seek to do for you if you elect me as, prime, as president. And then they go around, they travel across the nation taking this stump speech with them. This story of who they are and what they're doing and what they promise to do. And if you like, this moment in, in Jesus at the start of his ministry is his stump speech. It's that moment where he says, look, this is who I am. And this is what I will do for you. We'll come back to look at that in just a moment. We are wanting to learn what it is to see the kingdom of God come increasingly in the days ahead. That we can say things like, you know, the kingdom of God is here and it is coming. That we can say we want to see life here in the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And I think we've got a whole load of journeying to do in front of us, if I'm being honest. And I think it's an exciting journey It's a journey that's going to be challenging to us. It's a journey that is going to be um, one that's going to require us to be full of courage over and over and over again. Guys, we, we building up one another in our faith in this kind of context should be the most simple thing. We're a family. We love one another. 
And so to come and say, I just want to build you up. I feel God this morning wants to come and build you up. And he's just, I was praying before I came or praying earlier in the week. I felt that God spoke to me and he said, and he was speaking to me about this for you or for somebody specifically. That should be just normal fare of the church. But not only are we called to build up one another in faith, we're, to call, we're called to go and build a broken community. We're called to go and build them up, to point them to Jesus and to bring hope into the midst of a broken community. And when Jesus gives this speech, when Jesus gets this prophet and uses it as his stump speech, as it were, he's saying, this is who I am and this is what I pledge I will do for you. This is what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes. And by when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're simply saying the rule and reign of Jesus Christ as king. When Christ is established as king over earth, over your life and my life, over our community, these are the things we're going to start to see. We're going to see that the poor are raised, but not just the materially poor, those who are spiritually poor. Freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, the oppressed set free. And Jesus says, not only that, but I've come to proclaim, to make an announcement, to tell you how things really are in this upside down kingdom of mine, that the year of the Lord's favor is here. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, that God is a God of favor. That when Jesus came and pronounced that the year of the Lord's favor is here, he wasn't just saying, this is what I'm hoping to do. I'm hoping to build this beautiful wall that goes from one coast, stretches across to another. It's going to be a beautiful thing, and it doesn't materialize. He doesn't have false, hollow, empty promises. He says, this is who I am, and this is what I have and am doing for you. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to get going. Father, I thank you that you have given us your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the greatest king. You're the true king. I thank you that your mission you fulfilled. I thank you that you are faithful to us. I thank you that right now you are seated in heaven, that all authority belongs to you. I thank you that you are loved of heaven and that we love you this morning. And we thank you that you are indeed at work transforming lives and communities, bringing your kingdom to bear right across the nations of this world. And I thank you that your eye is on Swindon this morning. I thank you that you love this place. I thank you that your eye is on us this morning, that as your children, you love us. I thank you that you are for us. And I just pray in these moments that as we look at what it means to have the favor of God upon us, that we would go from this place built up, encouraged, and a blessing into a dying and hurting world. We pray this for your glory, for our joy, and for the hope of the nations. Amen. Just recently, we had a, a time with churches from across Swindon of praying. We were at Dawkins School over in Gateway East, and we were praying together. And it was a great time, and there were churches, all different types of churches, different backgrounds, different denominations, gathering together. And one of the leaders from a church in Dawkins, Trudy Wrigley, she was there, and she was just giving an update of what's happening at St. Paul's in Dawkins. And she was saying that, she felt that God had been talking to her in recent days. And she said this phrase, which I loved, and I just thought it was so poignant and so apt to this morning. She said, I feel like God is reminding me that he is not a God of scarcity. She said, so often I feel like we approach God or our view of him is that he's a God of scarcity. Doesn't that resonate with the picture that Deb was just sharing with us? He's a God of just crumbs. 
a God of meager rations, a God of the burnt leftovers, a God who isn't generous. And so often, she said, I think as Christians, we've learned to operate with God as a God of scarcity. She said, I feel like God's reminding me that he is not a God of scarcity, but he is a God of abundance. And that is to be our expectation of who he is, of what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God, that he is a God of abundance. I wonder if we really got hold of that, if it would begin to change how we view life, God, ourselves, the mission that we're on. The favor of God is on us because Jesus came and said, I am here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In this passage, Jesus is speaking. He's picked up the scroll from Isaiah and he's speaking from Isaiah 61. And Isaiah is writing. You can read it in Isaiah. Go home and read this passage that Jesus is reading from in Isaiah 61. And Isaiah is writing into the context of the Babylon's in exile. Remember when we were looking at Daniel and he's writing to them and they've lost land and they've lost possession and they've been taken captive. And Jesus is right and Isaiah is speaking into their situation and saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he sent me to tell you that he's going to bind up the brokenhearted. He's going to set captives free. That the year of favor of the Lord is upon you. And they're in this dire circumstance receiving this letter as a letter of hope that God has not forgotten their plight. And that's the context that that Isaiah is speaking into. And this picture of the year of the Lord's favor that both Isaiah is using and then Jesus is talking about actually comes from Leviticus chapter 25. And talks about, in Leviticus 25, it talks about the year of Jubilee. And in, in the year of Jubilee, Moses, as he had met with God, he'd received instruction from God as to how the Israelite community were to live. And God said, I want you to live with this year of Jubilee as part of your community, of what it means to be the people of God. When you inherit the land, this is to define who you are and how you're to live. And the year of Jubilee happened every seven years. Every seven years, people would, would debts would be set free. People would inherit land back that was given to them. It was a time of celebration. And then every seven lots of seven years, every 50th year, there would be a year of jubilee, which was a a massive year of celebration when debts were forgiven, family lands were restored, those who who, who had to sell themselves into slavery because of debt were released, prisoners were freed. Debt was brought to an end. The land was allowed to rest on that 50th year. And I just, this, this picture of the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament is this massive picture of what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. That there's a time of rest and celebration and renewal and recovery of things that have been lost. And this, this, this um, season of Jubilee would have come about, a, a priest would have sounded a shofar, a ram's horn. That's what Jubilee means, it means ram's horn, to announce the year of Jubilee is here. So just for a moment, I want you to imagine you've, you've racked up countless debt. You're thinking, how on earth do we repay this? You've lost your home because you haven't been able to keep up debt. You've lost your family home. You've lost the land that God had apportioned to you. But wouldn't it be amazing? Say next year's the seventh year, your mortgage is wiped. Wouldn't you begin to live slightly differently? It begins to change the parameters of how you think. We can't afford to. Of course we can afford to. 
We couldn't possibly trust that God would provide for us because, because what about, no, you can trust God because he's the God of Jubilee. He's a God who brings rest. He's a God who restores that which is lost. Listen to this in Leviticus 25. There's this amazing bit in verse 18 where God says this to Moses to, to instruct the Israelites. He says, follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws. He's talking particularly at this point about the year of Jubilee, the instructions around it. Then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and live there in safety. You may ask, what will, we, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest crops? So the seventh year was to be a year of rest. God says, I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough fruit and harvest for three years. The sixth year, the seventh year is a land rest. And then the following year, when you plant again for the end of that season. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. It's amazing. God is saying, I want you to understand, Israel, what it looks like when you're in the land and you live in obedience to me, when you're faithful to my instructions, it looks like I've got your backs. It looks like when I say rest, you don't have to worry, well, what will we eat if we rest for a whole year? God says, I'll provide you with such blessing that it will cover. There will be no lack. I'm not a God of scarcity. I'm not saying enjoy Jubilee, but starve. I'm saying enjoy Jubilee and rest. Rest in my goodness. Rest in my abundance. And so Isaiah is picking up this theme. And he's saying to Israel in captivity in Babylon, not only is God going to release you from captivity not only is he going to set you free not only is he going to heal you and bind up your broken hearts but the year of the favor of God is going to be upon you and they were looking forward Israel were looking forward to a day when they would be set free and Isaiah's hearers would have heard two things when they were reading this one that God had promised that he would save his hearers and two that God would judge his enemies in Isaiah 61 Straight after it says in verse 19 of Luke 4, to proclaim the year of favor, Isaiah goes on to say, and declare the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus stops mid-sentence. He says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah's hearers, the people of Israel, they thought both things were going to happen at the same time. They thought it was the year of favor of God when the Messiah came and... Their enemies would be judged immediately. But by stopping where Jesus did, by stopping at the point of saying to proclaim, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. By stopping there, Jesus said, God has always planned to hit the pause button at this moment in time. We are in the year of the Lord's favor. And God has hit pause. Right, right now, today, we are in the year of the Lord's favor. We are living in the year of the Lord's favor. We are living in an era of amazing abundance. Amazing abundance. The amazing favor of God. But we are living between these two moments. The year of favor and the day of vengeance of our God. But it's because of God's kindness towards us. 
Even when we're dead in our sin, those who are far off, rebellious, disinterested from God, just like you and I were, by the way. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You've never placed your faith in him. Well, it's because of God's kindness towards you that the day of vengeance of God has not happened yet. Be sure it's going to happen. There is a day coming when Jesus will return. But his first coming came and he proclaimed, he heralded this message. The spirit of the Lord is here because the day of favor of God is here. The day of salvation. The day of a future and a hope and life that is true life. But there is a day coming when Jesus will judge. The Bible tells us this very clearly. The living and the dead. That's the bit that Isaiah goes on to say. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to declare the vengeance of our God. But God is saying right now in this moment of human history, until Jesus returned, this is, we are here because of the kindness of God people. Because God wants to show his kindness out to the nations of the world. To, your, to the neighbors down your street, to, the, to your family and friends who don't yet know Jesus. It's why we're here. But it's not merely, as Isaiah's hearers were were waiting for, a material release from captivity, set free from rule and reign of the Babylonians. Isaiah, at the end of his letter, begins to talk about a deeper spiritual captivity, a spiritual oppression that the people are under. And so we've looked over these weeks, haven't we, how Jesus, when he gets hold of this message from Isaiah, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to set you free from sin. It's not merely free from your Roman rulers, Israel, 2,000 years ago. He sent me to to bring healing to your bodies, but not just literal physical healing, although absolutely that, but healing of your soul, your broken hearts. He sent me to set you free from the power of Satan. And because we are in this year of favor, this year of jubilee, if you like, It means that we are living in a massive window of opportunity for the kingdom of God. But so often we can hear something, we can read Luke 4, or we can read Isaiah 61, and we say, the year, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. And we think, oh, that means I'm reading Isaiah 61, I think Jesus is talking about me, Colin. Oh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to go and proclaim freedom, to go and preach good news to the poor. But if we jump to ourselves straight away, we miss the one who it is truly about. And because it is truly about Jesus, that when he makes that that stump speech, if you like, when he stands up at the beginning of his ministry and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. He says, for all these years, Israel, you've been reading the prophecy of Isaiah and you've been waiting for a Messiah. You've been waiting for a rescuer, a liberator. A king who will come and establish his kingdom and vanquish your enemies. And he says, I'm telling you that Isaiah 61 points to me. It's why Jesus says, as he rolls up the scroll, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We, church, are desperately in need as recipients of Jesus' kindness, of the truth of Luke 4 and Isaiah 61. So Jesus takes this concept of the year of Jubilee and he says, now, so I I just, for a moment, just think of Israel. Every 50 years, they were ticking down 50 years. Oh, we're getting close. We're getting close. We're getting close to this year of celebration. 
And it would have framed their mindset. But Jesus comes and he says, now it's not only every 50 years, but now you are living in the year of Jubilee, if you are in me. Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. This is now no longer just for the Jew, but for the Gentile also. Which is right after this, why right after this passage in Luke 4, Jesus goes on to talk about how two Gentiles, he uses two Gentile stories as an illustration of the favor of God coming to Gentiles also. Now, it's not only to do with land and money and stuff and political opposition or oppression, but to do with true spiritual freedom. Jesus, in his year of favor of the Lord, has made us free by his spirit, by giving his life even to death on a cross. And so that means that we are now not only just set free from things like sin and Satan and sickness, though that is wonderful. I think so often as Christians we think, I've been saved, job done. I've been set free, job done. I've got my path to heaven, I'm in. And we stop, our faith starts and stops there. I'm sorted, phew, I've got my insurance policy. I believe in Jesus, he gives me a stamp, a seal of approval that says, yep, you can get in. Not quite how it works, but that's often how we think. And so I'm sorted. Do you know what? I think that's a scarcity kind of mindset. Yes, if you are saved, you are saved indeed. If the sun set you free, you have been set free indeed. Absolutely. But not merely just saved for the sake of being saved. That is a poverty kind of mindset. It's a scarcity kind of mindset. We're not only discharged from the miseries of captivities, but we've been designated as citizens of heaven, children of God to advance his kingdom. Salvation means to be saved is by grace through faith. And it is now available to everyone who repents and believes in Jesus and his atoning work on the cross. But salvation, the words for salvation is more than simply being saved. When the Bible talks about, in the New Testament, talks about salvation, it uses a word called sozo. And it's more than just simply saved going to heaven. It means your whole life has been saved. It's deliverance from death, from the wrath of God, from slavery to sin and Satan. But it doesn't just mean that. It also means to deliver into goodness, to heal, to persevere, to persevere, to seal. There's this sense of the completeness of life in this word sozo, this fullness of life that as we are saved, it's not merely saved from death, but it's saved into true life. That's what it means to have the favor of God. Is that he has rescued you and saved you into life that is true life. Which is why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says it like this. Verse 7. He's done all of this so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God Not the result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. The year of the Lord's favor. 
The, the word favor here carries a sense of grace. It's, it's a word that's used interchangeably, the same word that's used interchangeably in the New Testament, the grace of God, the undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor and kindness of God in our lives. So we can hear something like Jesus saying, this is the year of my favor, and we think, oh, I better earn that favor. I better work. I better go and tell my friends about Jesus. I better pray. I better read my Bible to earn the favor of God. That God's favor might be on me even more so. No, the the grace of God is a free gift of God. You cannot earn it. We are undeserving recipients of the kindness and favor of God, which is why Paul here is wanting the Ephesians to get hold of this. This is a foundation in our Christian life. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved, you are saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. God's favor upon us as people made in his image is good news. It's good news. The year of Jubilee. It means that we do not have to have a poverty mindset. We do not have to think of God as just the God that gives us some crumbs. We do not have to think that it's like going to Debbie's house and, and just eating a plate of burnt crumbs. It's not what it means to be in the kingdom of God. It means you've been saved, set free, delivered, healed. But also more than this, you've been put into life in abundance. And I think that we need to begin to understand what this looks like and what it means for us as we seek to see the kingdom of God come in increasing measure. It simply means this, that we don't do the works of the kingdom to earn the favor of God. We don't do the works of the kingdom that God might love us more. He cannot love you anymore. He set his favor and grace upon you. But we do the works of the kingdom because we have the favor of God already upon us. Because of what Christ has done. So often we live our whole Christian experience. I, I know I do. It's, oh, I better make up for that time I, I, I sinned over here by working harder, by praying harder. I better give so that God's pleased with me. You don't have to think like that. That's a wrong way of thinking in the kingdom of God. Oh, I, better go and, I better tell my neighbor about Jesus. Because else I'm going to feel guilty. No, it's because you have the favor of God upon you. And I have it upon me that we get to be those who partner with God and declare, who make a proclamation, who get to go and say to a dying and hurting world, the favor of God is here. It's a year of jubilee. So I met with a guy recently who, who contacted me and he said, I'm, I'm in this awful situation. I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. I, I don't want to give you details. I'm hoping he'll do the Alpha course, and he can share his story one day. But he's in, he's in a bit of a mess in life. And we just went and had a drink together, and I listened to his story. And, he said, and his words, his literal words were, I have no hope in life. And do you know, I just simply, I didn't preach at him. I just said, do you know, there, there is always hope. And as a Christian, I believe that there is always hope. And as we went from that place, he said, he, he texted me just a bit later and he said, I'd love to, a couple of hours later, he said, I'd love to get another drink with you. He said, I was thinking what you said about hope. Do you know, the favor of God is here. It means that we get to tell people. It doesn't mean you just have to ram the gospel down people's throat. It means that we, the way we live 
under the favor of God itself is an illustration to people. There is hope. There is favor. That thing that you can do nothing about, that thing that you're enslaved to, the thing that you're captive to, the thing that you're in bondage to, maybe you can do nothing about it, but God can. And he longs to. Just for a moment, I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to say, the favor of God is upon me. And I want you to say to them, I work from favor, not for favor. Say to them again, the favor of God is upon me. And I work from favor, not for favor. Do you know, if a church like us grabbed hold of that truth, this would be like dynamite. Because we don't have to prove ourselves to God. We, we can't prove ourselves to God. Jesus proved himself worthy. And so that time that you fail and mess up, that time you fail to, walk, to live a life, the time that you go, I really can't bother to read my Bible this week. Do you know when God looks at you, he sees Christ's perfection. He's not going, oh, you've mucked up, oh, you've mucked up, oh, you've mucked up. That was what life under the law used to look like. And that led to death. But we are living in the year of the Lord's favor where Christ is our righteousness, where he's done everything that's needed that we can be saved, that we can have this life that is eternal life. It's ours to inherit in Christ Jesus. And so when you are in Christ, that is true for you. That is true for you, that you work from a place of favor your whole life, not just Christian bits and pieces, not just when you're feeling spiritual. Not just on a Sunday morning, but all of your life, you start from a place of favor. Which means in your workplace, it means that when it comes to making decisions, or the wisdom of God, you start with God on your side, with God in you. You start with the favor of heaven. Families, when you're battling through situations and things aren't working out for you, you're not stuck and helpless because you have the favor of God upon you. Marriages, if your marriage is broken down and falling apart, there is hope. Because you have the favor of God upon you. You start with favor. You don't have to try and impress God. And he goes, well, you've done quite a good job of trying to repair that bad looking marriage. I'll give you a bit of my favor. He says, no, you've got my favor. You've got my undeserved grace. There is hope. This can be reconciled because you are in me. It begins to change the parameters of how we see life. Just quickly, how do we grow in favor? God can't love you anymore. But I think it is perfectly possible that we can grow in the favor of God as we live lives of obedience. We've already heard it when, when, when Isaiah was saying, or God was speaking through Isaiah, and he said, if you obey my commandments, then the land will be blessed. Then you'll have provision. My favor will be upon you. But we also read in Luke 2 that Jesus, in verse 52, we're told that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. So favor is something that we can grow in. Do you know the number one way, the key for us to grow in favor in, and experience a greater favor of God is to understand what he really says about who you are. Which is why sometimes it can feel slightly awkward saying, I have the favor of God upon me. I work from a place of favor and not for favor. But it is true. If you are in Christ, you have the favor of God. After, after we're told about Jesus growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God, in the very next chapter, we see the Holy Spirit coming and resting on Jesus. 
and an audible voice from heaven saying, this is who you are, Jesus. You're my son in whom I love and I'm well pleased with you. The the father didn't want Jesus to have the tiniest bit of doubt about who he was. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. He loves you. You're his favorite. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Not because you're here, not because of anything you've done, but because this is the year of the Lord's favor and he set his favor upon you. He set his pleasure on you. And Jesus had favor through the way that he lived his life. We get that implied in verse 52 of Luke 2, that he grew in favor and stature with God and with man. God cannot love you any more than he already does. But we can choose to live a life that is obedient, that honors God, that holds him as Lord and Savior. Whether life is going easy or whether life is tough, we still have an opportunity to live faithfully to God and to see the favor of God increase on us. Let me just give you a few scriptures quickly. Ephesians 6, 2. This is a great one. Honor. He's not even looking. Oh, he is now. Honor your father and mother that it might go well with you. There you go. Honor your father and mother. You grow in favor. Matthew 8.10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, there is no one, there is no one in Israel where I have found such faith. 1 Peter 5.5. 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves with humility. Grow in favor with God. Isaiah 58.8. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. And your, and your healing shall spring up speedily. I think if we want to live in the favor of God increasingly in the days ahead. We need to begin to ask those questions. How do we increasingly see the favor of God come in our lives. I just want to read this, um, this paragraph and then share a story with you. Then we're going to worship and pray. When Jesus came and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to set prisoners free, to bind up broken hearts, to heal the blind, to release captives and, the spirit, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, it was because of Jesus, because of who he is, because that stump speech of his is true because he is the true king, because he is the perfect lamb of God who was slain for us, that that is true today, that we are in a year of favor of God. But it is true for you and I also, that we have the spirit of God, that we have been anointed likewise to go and tell people about the one who ushered in this year of favor. Your calling as a follower of Jesus is not just to get by and have a nice quiet life, a ticket to heaven, but your mission as a Christian is to change the culture where Jesus has placed you now today. You have a mission in life. He has placed you like yeast in a batch of dough so that you would let the kingdom of God, which has infiltrated you, begin wherever you are to, to be a means of the kingdom of God 
coming and being implanted into that situation. Wherever you are in life, God has placed you there to be like yeast in dough. Bringing change. Bringing transformation. That's what it means. that Now we're in this season of favor of God. He hasn't returned yet. There is a day when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead. But right now, because God is kind and generous and slow to anger and abounding in love. And he desires that no one will perish, not even one person. Because that's the heart of God. He's giving time for, for broken men and women like you and I to be set free. To come and know his goodness and his favor. The favor of God has nothing to do with your intelligence, your beauty, your bank balance, the way you've been educated, the circumstance, a bit of good luck here or a bit of good luck there. But it has everything to do with the one whom you're connected to. The favor of God on your life is because you are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, what is true of him is true of you also. Loved by the Father, you're loved by the Father this morning. Full of the Spirit, you're full of the Spirit this morning. The resources of heaven were at Jesus' disposal. Well, the resources of heaven are at your disposal this morning. It's time, church, to stop living with a mindset of poverty. But understanding that God is a God of abundance. I read this great quote. It said, there is a reward for following God's marvelous way of life. Not only will we be given eternal life and rulership in his kingdom... But God will also bestow his blessing and favor upon us until we are completely satisfied. That's what the favor of God means. It means to be satisfied in him. That all your longings and yearnings, not just your fears are dealt with, but the longings and yearnings and passions, the desires of who you are as a person are met eternally in Christ Jesus. That is what true joy is. I just want to briefly read a story. Maybe you would like to stand. Um, Andrew Williams leads our furniture project for us. And recently he sent me a story of a lady called Mary. Who um, was served by the, furniture, the Gateway Furniture Project. And just as I read this, I thought, this is what it looks like for the favor of God to be on us as a people. And begin to pervade like yeast into our wider society. She said this, my name is Mary and I have three girls, my youngest being seven months old. This is just last month. I also have scoliosis, which means I'm confined to a wheelchair 90% of the time. I have two electric chairs and a manual one. I asked a mutual friend four months ago if she knew anyone who could help me move as I had been allocated a ground floor flat in another area of town. When you begin to think what bondage to sickness and disability looks like, moving becomes quite a challenge. The friend knew that Andrew worked for the furniture project, so she asked him if they could help him, if they could help. I gave them a call, and it just happened that they had hired a van to go to London the following day to get beds and bedroom furniture, so were able to come and help me Sunday afternoon and the evening. I had no support from anyone else and had only packed a few basic items, so they needed to pack up most of my stuff before getting it into the van. Jenny helped me take some essential items over to the new house, taking a few trips to get it done, and the guys sorted out the packing and loading. It took about six hours to get everything across. The flat I moved to was left empty, and I had no curtains or curtain poles and no carpets. 
This was noted, and a few days later, with the help of someone else from Gateway Church, I had three new curtain poles put up, and I was given some curtains from the gate. As I am in a wheelchair, I had no privacy doing simple things like getting dressed. It was really important to me to have some privacy, and so I was pleased and grateful for the help. The project also provided me with carpets to really help turn my house into a home. The furniture project also provided me with a cooker and a new double mattress as my old one was falling apart. I was finally able to get a decent night's sleep and rest. With my condition, I was not able, I was not able to get comfortable on my old mattress. Hey, through the furniture project, provision, favor, but listen to this. It's not simply material things. She says, Mary says, I regularly go into the gate. I am always made to feel very welcome there. Jenny and Andrew have talked to me about Gateway and Gateway Furniture Project. We've talked about what we believe about salvation. We've discussed getting involved with a church to get linked in with support. I used to go to a church a long time ago, but haven't been for over 10 years. I was in town one day and was, go- and was going past Discovery Church. I noticed that the doors were open, and I looked inside, and someone came out to say hi. I decided to go in. That was three months ago. I now attend regularly, and four weeks ago, I recommitted my life back to God. One week later, I had my daughter dedicated at Discovery Church, and Jenny and Andrew came along and shared a meal with us afterwards. They have also looked after my daughter at a particularly difficult time for me. I am very grateful for the help and support I've received, for the encouragement to go back to church. Life is still very much a challenge for me, but I know that I'm not on my own and that I am loved. I know that Jesus is with me in everything I do. Let's just pray a moment. Father, we thank you that you have given your son. We thank you that what Israel was expectant for, that 50th year of celebration, of freedom, of land being restored, of families returning home, of slaves being set free, of debts being cancelled. We thank you that Jesus came, he got hold of that, and he elevated it. He, he, he put it on steroids. And now, now we can say our, our record of debt has been set free because of Christ Jesus. The debt we could never pay, the bondage that we were held in, captive to sin and slavery and, and, and prisoners of Satan, has, we've been set free from that because of Jesus, because of what he's done on the cross for that. We thank you, though, that not only have, have we just been set free, but you've restored to us everything that was taken from us, that we now no longer have to expect meals of crumbs, of burnt bits of toast on our plate, but, Lord, that you have set before us a banqueting table, and you've invited us to come and feast on Christ. And we thank you that we look forward to eternity with you. And the first thing we're going to do is celebrate a huge feast with you in glory. It's the shape of things to come. But Lord, we thank you that right now your kingdom is here. That we are in the year of favor of God. And that every life in this room for eternity here on out will be a display of your favor and your generosity and your kindness to us. That all that we do in, in eternity will demonstrate and remind us that God is a God of favor and abundance. That he loves to take the broken things, the things that are indebted, that cannot fix themselves, that cannot pay the price themselves, that cannot heal themselves. And God loves to bring restoration and wholeness. Jesus, we thank you. This is your very nature. We thank you. It's why you came to rescue and redeem that that was lost and broken and dying and dead. And you did it so wonderfully. And Jesus, we magnify you today. We say thank you that we are living in the favor of God today. Not because I feel like it, 
Not because I'm telling myself, but because it is true because of what you have done. That you have proclaimed the year of Jubilee. This is now what life is to be like. And so we thank you, Jesus, that we cannot earn our salvation because we could never do that. We cannot buy it from you, but it is a gift of God. And we thank you that as we get hold of that truth, it begins to reframe how we see life. That you are a God of favor and abundance and generosity. And so we magnify your name this morning. We say there is no one like you in heaven or on earth. There is no one who does what you do. In Isaiah, just at every point when Isaiah says, this is what God would do for you. It's amazing, the structure of Isaiah. Every time we're told something about what God will do, there's always a sense of worship and praise that immediately is hot on its heels. And I just feel that as we talk about what Jesus has done for us, the favor of God that he has shed upon us, that it's so right that we just take a few moments to worship and respond. And maybe this morning, for some of us, we just need to repent that we've had a spirit of scarcity, a spirit of poverty. We, we think of Jesus and we, and we think, well, I'm saved. Good, I've got into heaven, but, but I've got all these problems that God isn't interested in. Maybe we just need to say, no, God, I'm sorry for that wrong way of thinking about who you are. You're a God of abundance. So let's just take a few moments. There's, there's bread and juice on the table. We're just going to share communion at this point as well. Please help yourselves. We're just going to remember that Jesus gave his body. He gave his blood to establish this new covenant relationship with us. That we are those who have this favor of God upon us. Because he did it. We remember his sacrifice on the cross. If you're not a follower of Jesus, Jesus, I'd ask you to sit this one out. But maybe you'd love to come and say, today I want to share this meal for the first time. It'd be a great morning to do it. But other than that, let's celebrate Jesus. Let's worship him. Let's just, let's just in our hearts, let's thank God for his favor. Amen.